Ladies and gentlemen out there in the live land, g'day. I'm Stefan Angelini. I'm your host for today. Um, we're here getting an Australian education event on Australian stocks or stock tipping. Um, thanks to the Australian ASX Stock Tips Facebook group. Um, we are lucky enough to be hearing from one of Australia's largest fund managers. So if you're in the uh, the trading space or you've ever been interested in trading Australian stocks, um, this is going to be a good event for you. Stefan Angelini here from the ASX Stock Tips Facebook group, but also from Investor Types podcast. Um, if you're joining us live, you're joining us from everywhere, whether it be Facebook, LinkedIn, um, but we're here for a special event. It's an education event, and um, we're going to get really educated on what it, what it means to be a really good uh, stock trader um, when it comes to the Australian Stock Exchange. I'm lucky enough to be joined by James Holt, who's an investment specialist at Perpetual. Um, James, thanks for joining me, but tell me, Perpetual is one of Australia's largest fund managers. Uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, we we are um, uh, been around a long time, uh, founded in the eighteen hundreds, in fact, um, and then more, in the last sort of fifty plus years, we've been a, a fund manager managing just over twenty billion dollars, about twenty one point four billion. Wow! So big, big, been around for a long, long time, and obviously, how how big would the team be here in Australia? Um, look, here we've got about eight portfolio managers uh, managing a variety of funds and uh, nine analysts uh, supporting them as well. So they're the ones who individually study each company and then determine which of the stocks are the best fit uh, for their portfolio. So that's that's probably the biggest team in Australia, if not one of, if not the biggest. Yeah. Beautiful. So we're in for a great event. Um, you're going to give us a bit of a market update. Um, you're going to tell us what, what your investment philosophy is, how you go about uh, finding what you love. Um, you're going to talk about some companies specifically, which which I'm really looking forward to. Uh, but also, um, we're going to have some time for some questions. So for anyone out there in the live land um, who wants to post a question, um, get James to answer it, feel free to mention it in the comment box. Um, it should pop up. If I don't get to it, there might be a lot of questions. So um, don't hate me if we don't answer it. But something will, will pop up. Um, we are getting a comment that, James, your audio is very faint. So if you do want to speak a little bit louder when you can, um, that will be amazing. Thanks for that, Troy. Appreciate that comment. Um, we'll make sure um, it's louder and very, and very everyone can hear. Well, without further ado, we're here for a presentation. We're all here to learn. Um, so, James, if you wouldn't mind kicking it away, I'm going to bring up your presentation and um, talk to us through, talk to us about um, Perpetual and what you guys do in terms of investing into Australian equities. Yeah, sure, uh, Stefan. Look, we've used uh, today a presentation pack for our perpetual equity investment company. So that's listed on the ASX under the ticker PIC. So look, a lot of what I'll talk about today will be, you know, generally what we uh, what we do from an investment point of view. Uh, but obviously, um, part of this will also reflect. Um, uh, <clears throat> it'll be with the background of the investment company uh, that we we run, uh, uh, which is consistent with pretty much the way we manage all of our money across the board. So if we move to the to the next slide, um, Stefan, I just got here a general advice disclaimer, and there is one across the top of the screen as well there, uh, with you can see as well. So look, the key thing I think to bear in mind is that, you know, when I talk about things, I, I don't know any people individually necessarily on the call. Uh, you know, they may need to seek personal advice if they're looking to, um, to invest in things. From our point of view, we offer general advice. So everything I say is of a general nature only, and... Um, you know, people often have to seek personal advice to see the tax and other consequences of those things as they're uh, as they're investing. Okay, no worries. So, look, I'd say um, you can see here, uh, in terms of uh, Perpetual itself, you know, founded in eighteen eighty six, and look, eighteen eighty five is when a committee of uh, business and professional people first gathered to form uh, a trustee company. Uh, amongst them was a person called 
Edmund Barton, and he later, of course, became our first uh, Prime Minister. Um, so look, uh, 1886 is when Perpetual was formed. A uh, little bit of trivia, uh, you know, they couldn't decide who was going to become the first chairman of Perpetual, so they, they solved that by weighing uh, the people who were, um, who were uh, going to be chairman of the company. And the heaviest man was uh, James R. Fairfax, who became uh, uh, chairman of, of Perpetual. So just a bit of trivia there in terms of the background. So Perpetual today, run by Rob Adams, who joined us a couple of years ago. Perpetual Investments, as we've already talked about, um, farm of sort of $21.4 uh, billion. You can see there on the left-hand side. We also have an advice business as well, Perpetual Private, um, and also a corporate trust business, which manages about, about nearly $800 billion uh, worth of trustee money. So uh, you can see there are quite a few different parts of the business that we, that we have today. Um, moving forward a slide, and this uh, to show Stefan at, at the start, you talked about the team. So, look, the manager of this portfolio is, is Vince Pizzullo, who's our deputy head of equities. Uh, he manages a number of funds within uh, the perpetual universe, um, uh, uh, but also this uh, listed investment company as well. Um, you can also see there the other portfolio managers, Paul Scambugaris, who's our head of equities, Jack Connolly, Nathan Hughes, Anthony Abood, Anthony K, Marianne, and, and, uh, and also James Rutledge who've uh, been with us for, in many cases, many, many years. And of course, supporting them are the analysts on the right-hand side. So they're the people who individually look after about 30 or 40 stocks in Australia. Uh, every They've just been busy during reporting season. They're busily out there uh, looking at company results uh, and uh, and bringing them to uh, back to the portfolio managers to see which companies we want to invest into uh, is essentially the way it works. Um, moving forward one slide, just in terms of philosophy, look, there's probably a couple of things I'd say here. First of all, what we want to do uh, generally with, with the listed investment company, of course, the, the perpetual investment equity investment company, is provide a, a growing income stream. Uh, we want to provide long-term capital growth as well, which is what investing in the stock market is all about. And look, we're active managers, so at the end of the day, we're looking to buy, you know, 20 to 40 stocks that we think it will do better than the share market over time. We, you know, sometimes we'll hold those, you know, ideally we'd hold them for a long time. Sometimes they rise very quickly to the price we think they're worth and we can change them over and, and put new ones in. But that's essentially what we're, we're trying to do. At least 50% and as much as 100% of the portfolio should be in Australian stocks. We can buy up to 35% in global stocks and up to 25% uh, in cash. Um, and uh, and also, uh, you know, in terms of our process, we're, we're two things. We're, we're what we call quality and value. So the first thing is we want to establish a quality universe of stocks. We do screen out companies which we think are low quality. Um, and then from that remaining pool of what we determine are quality companies, we want to pick what we think are good businesses at a reasonable price. You know, so it does give us a value orientation over time. We, we you categorize this a bit like Warren Buffett is as value investors and that's what we're trying to look to do and achieve across all of our funds but also with this um, investment company as well and on the next slide i just sort of elaborate a little bit on what we mean by quality so look a, um, a few things here there's sort of four main filters we look at um, first of all uh, what is you know a quality business and that that means a company where the um, you know barriers to entry might be high it's got great products and services those sort of things um, it manages issues uh, very well on the social and environmental front um, it's ahead of the curve. Um, we we also look for conservative debt. So we don't like companies with lots and lots of debt because during downturns, recessions, they're the ones that tend to go bust. Um, you know, we've seen that through many cycles. Hasn't sort of mattered so much the last few years, but I think it's about to matter, obviously, as we deal with the 
COVID and I think eventually the banks will want their money paid back and those companies that owe too much money, a bit like some unfortunate households, will probably wind up in financial trouble and we don't want to own those sort of companies because uh, in the end they're the ones that, are, that have got most of the risk. Sound management uh, is obviously going to be something uh, we want as well. So by this we mean companies that will, you know, management that will do the right thing at the right time by our shareholders. So that's certainly something we're looking for. Um, and then recurring earnings. So it's it's got to have a history of making money or an ability to make money in a very short period of time uh, in the period ahead. Well, and I contrast this to companies that don't plan to make money for the next five or ten years. Again, a bit like the high debt companies, they're very high risk. They can be great concept stocks. There's quite a few of them out there at the moment, of course. But our worry is always that uh, these sort of companies uh, tend to get caught out during a downturn or, you know, if the banks decide they just they need to become more conservative, they can't fund risky ventures anymore, investors have the same attitude from time to time and they pull their funding from these organisations. If they're not making money, then there's no other place for them to go and often they don't survive. And we've seen this many times in history. And again, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's another sort of key criteria we need to be sure we're investing at the end of the day uh, investors money for long periods of time often retirees uh, we they, they can't necessarily afford to take a big capital hit um, on some of these sort of concept stocks they might be good ideas but they but as long as they've got to be profitable at some point as well um, moving forward onto the next slide um, so where are we at today look i'd say you know a couple of things first of all uh, the market itself you know covid was a shock i think many people were expecting you know, sort of a tech wreck akin to 2000 going into this year. Um, certainly we were cautious. We had a lot of cash, about 17% cash at the beginning of the year um, in this particular uh, investment company and in, in other portfolios were quite cashed up as well. Um, we thought, um, you know, that COVID obviously hit first um, and, uh, and obviously did a lot of damage to the market, but it allowed us, it then enabled us to have spare cash to deploy into stocks at very, very cheap prices in February and March. And that's exactly what happened. So look, the portfolio held up well during the downturn, but then also by being able to use the cash and buy stocks at really bargain basement prices, um, we're able to uh, invest all that money and then recover as the market recovered from sort of the 23rd of March onwards, our portfolio recovered very strongly with it and actually beat the market quite strongly. So that was, I think, a, um, a really good position for us to be in. Um, you know, we're able to buy a whole bunch of companies at that point in time. And look, we don't own a lot of tech, even even uh, despite tech uh, dipping a bit during March. Um, we, we do find that a lot of the tech space trades at really, really expensive levels. And as I said before, you know, every 10 to 20 years, the market goes wild for tech. Um, and then you have some really serious uh, consequences to come after that. So, you know, 20 years ago, there's some people on the call who probably never heard of one till uh, or Sausage Software or Davnet, um, yet they were absolutely hot stocks 20 years ago. Um, and then, of course, uh, a lot of them went broke. They just ran out of money or they had too much debt or they just never earned money in the first place. Um, same thing happened offshore 20 years ago. The really hot stocks were Enron, WorldCom, uh, Cisco Systems. Cisco Systems is still around, but you know what? The share price after 20 years has never got back to the levels of 20 years ago. So sometimes I think there's two ways to lose your money. You buy a stock that goes broke, obviously no one wants that, and we try and avoid that. Uh, but secondly, you buy a stock that's so expensive that when it falls, it can never quite get back to where it used to be. And that's something I think, again, we've got to be wary of today. Even the, even a lot of the winners, you know, there's a lot of great companies around um, that have survived the price lines and the Amazons and so forth, but did go through a long period of being underwater uh, about 15 years after 2000. And I think 
history tends to repeat on this sort of stuff quite a lot. You know, 12 years ago, ABC Learning Centers and the Babcocks and Browns. So they're the sort of companies, again, you've got to have earnings, you've got to have low debt, good balance sheets, we think, to, to sort of get through, especially if we're going into a pretty tough uh, period like we are today. Um, and, and in terms of sort of, you look at some other companies around the world, you know, I, I use Netflix and Uber, you know, again, but sometimes just because you use them doesn't mean necessarily they make a great investment. So I'd be, I'd be wary about that as well. And looking at the tech sector in Australia, again, you know, there are some great ideas. There are some winners that will survive and thrive, but there's a lot of companies that probably won't survive. And we just got to be careful. We want to, don't want to avoid in that tech index as a whole, because we think uh, you, you, you're buying potentially some of the winners, but also a lot of the losers that, that won't survive. And at the moment, tech's trading at about 60 times in Australia. If you take our computer share, which is the biggest uh, sort of uh, earner in the tech sector, um, that's half of the sector's earnings. Even though the company's only about a seven or eight billion dollar company, it's only about 15% of the tech sector. You've, you've then got a huge amount of tech uh, that's valued at about 100 times earnings in Australia. And we think um, that's a lot of money to pay, especially because it might surprise you, but the last five, 10 years, earnings in tech have been going down, not up. Um, and the only thing driving up uh, tech as a sector has been the enormous expectation that there's going to be more and more earnings coming down the track, which is yet to sort of reprove itself. Um, economically, obviously, uh, it's a difficult stretch ahead, um, especially as stimulus is withdrawn. So clearly the process of beginning to take reduced JobKeeper has begun. Um, and eventually we're going to have to re we're going to sort of kickstart our economies, um, and clearly that um, that's going to be a, a painful period uh, ahead. I think eventually we'll get a strong recovery. Sometime in 2021, 22, economies will do really, really well. Uh, but it's getting across that valley uh, from where we are now to to switching back on. I think you'll see a lot of companies that will be in trouble potentially, and we just got to be wary of those. Um, so whenever you have a recovery, a recession like this, and recovery. You know, it's all those sort of flawed business models that get caught out and you've got to be careful about, about having those. Um, and in terms of, obviously, as well, we, the other thing on our mind, though, is that clearly policymakers are going to throw a lot of money. They have been throwing a lot of money. The Fed, the Reserve Bank, the federal government will continue to throw lots of money at the problem, um, which is great, on the one hand, to sort of smooth the process. Um, but also, from an investment point of view, it's, it's quite difficult because... How do we invest in this process? Well, for us, we want to try and keep our portfolio pretty balanced. So we've got some deep undervalued cyclicals, things like the retailers, which are clearly struggling, but will do great when the economy reopens. The builders, which are struggling, uh, but clearly they'll do great once the economy fully reopens and construction starts again. So those sort of cyclicals you want to own because they can go up a lot from where they are now. But um, you want to still balance it with a lot of those high-quality companies um, that have done well through, uh, you know, lotteries, lottery businesses, things like that, um, which do well in recession and recovery, um, and which might have already rallied quite a bit, but you just want to have, um, you know, good exposure to those still in the portfolio, just in case uh, something goes wrong with the rally. Um, and then lastly, um, in terms of performance, clearly, look, one struggle for us, uh, if you move to the next slide, this is uh, investment portfolio. Uh, performance, you know, for, for five years we've we've had we've had we've been around for a long time. This the perpetual investment company, equity investment company, Peak has been around for about six years. Uh, during that whole period, value has been a tough place to to be, um, and so value I think does really well long term. You can see, you know, look at Warren Buffett has long periods of struggle. <laughs> you know, we have long periods of struggle, but in the long term, value comes through quite well. Um, five years, it has not done that well, but we're starting to see now um, a lot of those sort of quality and value stocks really do quite well. You can see that there in the performance numbers over six and six months, one year. 
uh, where again, we were able to have that cash there, buy stocks at the bottom, they rallied back up, and I think um, that's really uh, done quite well for the for the portfolio. And lastly, in terms of just a couple of ideas around positioning, so if you move to the next slide there, uh, portfolio positioning, uh, you know, things like, um, uh, you know, Crown Resorts, Aluka, AUB, those sort of businesses, you can see there Aluka, um, which a lot of people haven't heard of, but it's um, it basically uh, mines zircon and rutile, which are important commodities that are exported to China and go into, into various products. Um, but also with Aluka, we love these sort of companies where there's a hidden asset that's not being fully reflected in the balance sheet. So in Aluka's case, they own an iron ore, iron ore royalty, which they're about to spin off, and that's probably worth a lot of money. Well, you know, uh, you know, could could wind up with a capitalization almost as big as Aluka itself eventually one day. So. That's a great business. We think uh, there's a lot of value to be unlocked there once that spin-off takes place. Um, Oz Minerals uh, is more exposed to uh, to copper and gold and those sort of uh, assets. Copper is a fantastic uh, commodity that's really well um, uh, exposed to the market recovery. So I think once the market recovery occurs, you'll find copper uh, will do well. But of course, if things go down, gold will do well. And Oz, Oz Minerals has both of those sort of businesses. So there's a sort of cyclicality, if you like. Um, and then you've got also companies like Crown Resorts, which have always been a high quality business, suffered a bit during COVID. Um, but, uh, you know, I think we'll, we'll bounce back once recovery takes place. The thing we've always liked about a Crown is that that's probably more the quality sort of company, which um, has actual property. You know, it's not a website, it has physical assets. Um, once COVID, uh, you know, eventually clears, people will want to come back, I think, and, and, and go to those properties. Uh, but also um, has very little debt, um, and uh, Crown Sydney opens in uh, in about uh, you know in the next year or two, which I think will be will put them in a good position as well. So a lot of upside there potentially. And lastly, in terms of uh, global, on the next slide there, you know a couple of um, you know again you don't have to necessarily buy you know there's a lot of hidden tech stocks out there. So Flutter owns um, you know a lot of uh, you know Paddy Power and Betfair and those sort of. Uh, businesses that have done very well as the economy has um, uh, has gone into into, into shutdown. About eighty percent of the business is online, but a lot of a lot of IT businesses. We know you've got to pay a hundred fifty times or a hundred times or hundred fifty times earnings. Um, a company like Flutter is only on the, sort of twenty to thirty times earnings, about twenty seven times at the moment. So um, quite an attractive business, an online business if you like. That people don't think of as an online business. Eighty percent of it is online, but um, it's uh, it, it picks up on that exposure quite well. Uh, and Ferguson, a bit like Reese in the UK, but a lot better value. Uh, building stocks we've got in there as well. A person and uh, those sort of companies. So a bit of quality, a bit of um, you know, exposure to the cycle when it comes, just to sort of balance the portfolio out quite well. So that's what we're trying to achieve here. Really, if you if you move to the summary slide, there is um, you know. Um, build a secure income stream, make sure you've got those quality stocks at a reasonable price. They're going to sort of give you a smoother ride through the cycle, we think, and we think that it's happened this year for our portfolio, and we hope it'll happen uh, ongoing as well. And you've got, to, you've got to actively manage it. You know, sometimes there are stocks that reach their full potential. We've got to exit them out of the portfolio and, and buy new ones that are relatively uh, more attractive. We were very, very active in March, February and March to help 
by because we just didn't know when we we're going to get that opportunity again and in fact i think people waited and thought they might get that opportunity in may or june and it just didn't materialize so we've just got to constantly be ready to, to move quite quickly to take advantage of opportunities when they when they pop up so i hope that's been of a, a, a benefit and um, we've also got some investor details there you can certainly um you know feel free to connect with me i'm on linkedin as well we've got investor relations people as well uh uh that um uh, that can that can service people if they if they need to, and um, and uh, yeah, hope that's been a, a benefit in, in terms of how we sort of see the world. Uh, and I'll hand back at this stage to Stephen. Beautiful, James. Thanks a lot, mate. Really appreciate that. Um, some really great insights there. Um, it, it looks like in terms of your allocation, you're looking at both companies that will benefit following when when lockdowns are ended and things like that, like a Crown Resources, but also. You know, some companies that are really taking advantage of the existing situation and especially a lot of that online play. Um, now, as, as a Facebook group, we get a lot of talk around um, buy now, pay later um, and almost not how the uh, buy now, pay later are overtaking credit. Now, I've read a bit that credit card, the average age of credit card users is somewhere in their 50s, whereas the average age of afterpay users or um, buy now, pay later schemes is somewhere in their 30s. What's your view on these on buy now pay later in the tech sector yeah, around the buy now pay later? A lot of it comes will come down to the regulator, I think. So um, just to give you a sense of that, uh, you know, the, the the regulator has given uh, the banks a very tough time over the past few years for uh, inappropriate lending. And I know at the moment, after pay, you, know, you can use you can use many different examples, charge a fee rather than interest rate. But if you calculate the interest rate on after pay. It's a lot higher, and if the banks were charging it, it'd be a very different story, I think, from the regulator's point of view. So it's hard to know. A lot of it does depend on what what the regulator necessarily does, and also, um, and even if the regulator doesn't move, you've got to bear in mind: uh, does uh, you know if it's sort of a, if it's sort of treated as a bank, and where does the credit risk lie, and all those sort of things? I think that's sort of a bit of a bit of a mystery to us. And maybe lastly, as I said, I sort of touched on in the presentation. Often you can have a really good idea, and I and I and I am very careful to knock things because I think buy now pay later makes a lot of sense. You know, people want the want the want the consumer good, but often what happens, one of the biggest problems in the stock market is that it might be an idea that's worth five dollars, or it might be worth ten dollars a share. Um, uh, it might be worth fifty cents. Everyone's got a different view, but once it hits sort of fifty or eighty or hundred dollars a share. Um, but the actual natural valuation through the full cycle is lower than that. It's hard to make money if you're buying too high. And that's why I use the Cisco example, because Cisco, you know, enterprise software, a global company, always well managed, a high quality business, you know, was, was trading. It was about a $550 billion business in 2000. And today it's about half that or, or, or they're even less than half, I think, of what it is, what it was back then. And it hasn't stopped being a great business in 20 years. But when people drove the share price up to such a high level 20 years ago it can't possibly make its money back that was that's been the big problem maybe it will eventually one day but you know what if you were 65 in 2000 and put your money into cisco and you're 85 now <laughs> and you've sort of got half the money you had 20 years ago you'd be you'd be wrapping your fingers on the table wondering when that's going to come true again so i think the big challenge for for afterpay today is great concept it's a 25 billion dollar business or it was until trading opened um it's uh, it's a uh, it's bigger than many many businesses that have been around 100 years and have been very successful and and it still is yet to make money um you know so there's a there's a there's a lot of hurdles to jump through before you can sort of say this has been a great concept 
that's become a great business eventually. It's not as, uh, not as easy as it looks. <laughs> well, they certainly have been rockets recently. We know that. Um, look, the market's down today 2.2%, and that's the ASX 200. That's almost like a diversity approach. Um, we look at your portfolio. You like to focus on having between 20 and 40 stocks. Um, now, when someone's just starting to build their portfolio and their equities portfolio, they might not have that many stocks, but you'll find that as you start trading more and more and buying more and more assets, and if you're focused on that long-term approach, your portfolio might become the 20 to 40 stocks, Believe um, whether you believe it or not. Um, but I think I love that diversity play. Um, diversity is something free in markets, and when markets do go up and down, you will have some that benefit, um, you will have some that lose, but at least it sort of cushions the blow a little bit rather than being allocated to one sector. And why, why I'm asking this is because I love to talk about asset allocation because people normally get sort of stronghold into one asset class. And you spoke about how you're not really um, loving the tech sector at the moment just because it's a bit overpriced. And how how is your portfolio positioned and what sectors are you loving the most or are you most exposed to? Yeah, look, I'd say at the moment we've, we've still, you know, as a group and, and for the for the company I've sort of talked about as well, I'd say overwhelmingly we, we like consu- a lot of consumer names. So... Uh, you know, consumer discretionary is one of the most uh, important sectors in Australia. We've always tended to find a lot of our good long-term companies. You think about a good management, a great brand, a great uh, set of concepts has been turned into reality. So that's probably where most of our consumer, most of our portfolio is sort of overweight, if you like, versus the share market. Um, a little bit in, in financials, but not too much of the banks. Um, and, uh, and, you know, sort of... Um, uh, you know positions like that. We don't tend. We don't have it. We have. Un, we're not really that big in healthcare. Uh, we find um, you know CSL again, great business, but really at a very very high price. Got a handful of names there, but not necessarily uh, that. Um, and also uh, property trusts tend to be a little bit too expensive for us as well. A little bit of cash as well, just on the side, just in case there's one sector that sort of uh, you know, or one part of the share market that blows up. You're not forced into uh, into selling things you really like and you want to own. You can actually uh, you know, draw on your cash allocation to have that. So I'd say consumer is the start. Bit of bit of materials exposure as well, which is where the miners and the, and the building and that sort of things come in. Yeah, and you're obviously not loving property trusts as you just mentioned at the moment. Um, one thing I did like seeing is that property trusts came into this um, this downturn with very low debt levels, and you spoke about how you do like lower debt levels, and that's a lot. Of, a lot of the companies we're seeing are trying. You might see a lot of companies trying to raise funds at the moment, or, or issue new shares, or um, and basically what they're trying to do is raise capital to get debt levels down. Sydney Airports did it recently, an infrastructure infrastructure company um, raised $2 billion to try and get their, their debt lower. I'm pretty sure they filled that allocation because um, there's a discount, fairly big discount to their existing trading price. Um, just how important is that low debt level as you're coming into a market downturn or, or, an, or an uncertain future, I could say, as caused by COVID-19? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's sort of, um, I mean, you can see, I mean, look at, look at the, the sort of, road toll businesses, you know, uh, as well, you know, um, where the debt levels can be really, really high. And normally, in a perfect world, that that level of debt might seem fine because, uh, you know, you've got people driving every day to uh, a, a regular annuity stream and so forth. Um, but, of course, you take COVID, people stop moving. <laughs> it's always the things you don't expect, you know. You expect maybe there might be another tech downturn at some point. What happens if you have something that stops people coming into a business or stops people shopping or stops people uh, moving around in their cars? Um, because sometimes these things are seen as so secure, companies have been prepared to borrow lots of money to, uh, you know, $20, $25 billion to, to have that debt sitting against the expected cash flow from cars, 
traveling every day but if suddenly traffic drops by 10 or 20 or 30 percent uh, it's a different proposition so a lot of these utilities the airports the the road companies have suddenly had to be forced to to raise capital at a at a fairly steep discount to try and um you know um uh, to try and uh, you know reduce their debt levels quite a bit, and you just don't want to have to do it at the wrong time because the more um, you know, the the worse the timing, the more the bigger the discount the shares have to be to attract people to come in, uh, and that's uh, that's something that obviously these sort of companies have to have to consider all the time. So uh, that's we're always worried about those businesses that we we our internal filter, as I said, that debt filter is about three times interest cover. You know, it's about fifty percent debt to, to equity. Or it's about three times interest cover. So if you think about think about a client who's got a, a mortgage debt, they might earn a thousand dollars a week. If they're putting more than three hundred and thirty-three dollars towards their their mortgage, they're putting four hundred dollars towards their mortgage or five hundred dollars towards their mortgage, and they lose their job. You know, where's how are they going to fund that? You know, it's the same with companies. You know, so those really high debt levels where more than a third of their earnings go to to debt, that seems to be the 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 line between companies that are fine and those companies that, that will find themselves in strife. Uh, one of the questions that's come up is, uh, so Crown, obviously, bullish on Crown, got a good allocation there, and you believe it will be a benefit a benefiter once everything's done. Um, in terms of opening up the borders, um, obviously, you've got a pretty big a pretty big team there, um, and obviously, you, you've got the ability to invest a lot into economic studies. Where do you see economic borders? When, when do you... When do you, I guess, guess they will open up, or what's your view on borders opening, states opening, and Crown making some more money? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a really tricky one, right? I mean, one, one good thing just on that previous comment, because Crown's balance sheet is so good, because they've got, um, they have virtually very little debt, and in fact, once they finish selling all their apartments for Crown Sydney, uh, they have no debt at all, basically. You know, so they're, they're, that's a wonderful position to be in. Plus, they get JobKeeper and other things as well. So there are some companies that can actually afford <laughs> the shutdown a lot more than others, which is what I was sort of referring to before. So there's that benefit. And then we don't know exactly when the reopening will occur. But I'd say um, I would, you know, it, it's I think there's politics has obviously got a lot to do with it. You know, there's a couple of elections coming up. Um, I think maybe once those elections are out of the way, uh, especially the one in Queensland, which is only next month, you might find that there's greater pragmatism coming after the election. Who knows? But I'd, I'd say that might be fairly reasonable. And then international borders, I'd say, um, look, it probably won't be until next year, and that's been the case for some time. But remember, I think you, you this can happen very quickly. We may move from a, a situation where uh, I think when people first go into COVID, they think, um, what, uh, you know, this, 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 there's no good news here. <laughs> and then when they get to the bottom, they think, well, things are never going to get any better. And then in reality, um, the uh, things do improve uh, and then they start to, they, they underestimate how quickly things can improve. And I'll give you one data point there is that you've got a lot of companies, a lot of, a lot of countries where the reopening is now occurring. The reopening is now occurring. Uh, it's not opening, it's not occurring as of yet, but it might occur a bit further next, quicker than expected because... Um, they're already getting uh, immunity in many cases. So we're discovering more and more about COVID. One thing in Europe is that, for example, maybe half of people can't get COVID. You've already had a shocker there through 2020 where maybe 10, 15, 20% of people have already got COVID. So people thinking it won't be over for 12 months. For some of those countries, it might be over in two to three months. Who knows? It might be over by Christmas. Um, so all I'm saying is that the bias is that maybe we're getting further through COVID than people realise. 
um, for those, for, for you know, and therefore the, 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 the market, because it always looks three, six, 12 months ahead, eventually can start to say, hang on, this is not something we've got to wait until late 2021 to see everyone vaccinated. Maybe the vaccinations won't have to occur in parts of America or occur in parts of Europe. Um, and, and even in Australia, you know, you can, we can start to safely reopen these borders because they've had COVID, most of them had it, uh, and we, we just won't have any further spread from, from here. So, um, you know, it's, it's all purely speculative, but maybe that's, that's what's uh, something to bear in mind is that people always look at the glass up full, then they look at it too empty, and then it sort of spins the other way again. <laughs> Hundred <laughs> um, percent, James. Look, thanks so much for giving your time today. For all you out there that have been listening, thank you for your questions. Um, if you're building your portfolio, build a diligent portfolio. Do your research. Um, most importantly, if you did listen to what we had to say today, just remember um, that all the information that we talked about is just general, general in nature. And please don't consider it as personal advice. And if you are considering personal advice, go speak to a financial professional. Um, James, I want to say thank you again um, for giving up your time. Some special, some special mentions today. Uh, to McDonald Legal uh, for sponsoring today's event. Thank you very much. And for Angel Advisory, I'm a director and financial advisor at Angel Advisory, so we help build portfolios. Um, and in saying that, that's the end of the show. Thanks a lot for tuning in. We'll have another one in two weeks' time with Watershed, um, talking about more, more emerging companies. James, thanks so much again, mate. And everyone out there, thanks so much for listening. Absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Bye, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of the Investor Types podcast. What I want to remind you is that everything you heard in this podcast is general advice only. Please don't consider it as personal advice. If you do want to consider it as being personal advice, please go and speak to your licensed financial planner. Everything here is just informational purposes only. Take it as you will. I really hope you enjoyed the episode. Thanks again for tuning in. See you soon.